0: change your pattern you can change your color you can change where it is you can decide to put flourishes on it or not and so it's, it's a lot of fun for me it, if you're making artwork that's not fun
1: you Why? should find yeah. something
0: else to do
2: <laughs> black creativity is unstoppable The Studio Noise Podcast takes you into the studio with Black artists and creatives making the art that moves the culture. You get to feel all the inspiration, technique, and passion behind the people making paintings, making sculptures, making prints, making noise. It's the Studio Noise Podcast with your host, Jamal Barber. It's the noise.
3: Yes, it's your boy, Jay Barber. Artists can have any kind of motivation to make the art. Who's going to be the one speaking out about what's going on? Shout out to Marvin. We see what's happening with voter rights, abortion, banning DEI programs, gun violence. It's out there. We see it. We can make pretty butterflies and sweet, nice, colorful portraits. But today we're talking about one of the artists that ain't scared to say the things that need to be said. Dawn Williams Boyd and her cloth paintings ain't here to make you feel good. She's confronting issues and making pointed commentary about current events. That may make some people uncomfortable. Good. <laughs> we need to get to work on these issues. Her work is that pointed to make us have these conversations, but they are still beautiful, colorful, masterfully constructed. We talk about source materials, thinking about compositions, and continuing to learn about history in the world, putting all of that good, all of that emotion into the artwork. It's more of that good art talk that you love right here on the noise studio noise the voice of black art check us out on ig at studio noise podcast you definitely gonna see some pictures of dawn pieces that you need to really need to see them to go along with this conversation and anybody out there if you're listening let me know who else you want to bring on the show i'm looking for guests i'm scheduling guests right now who else do you want to hear from who would you like to see added to the studio noise fam and we got some great guests coming already so stay tuned be locked in right here every friday for the best in contemporary black art Presented by Black Art in America. The Byer Gallery, the place to learn and see about art. 1802 Connolly Drive, East Point, Georgia. New show, Rhythm and Flow, abstracts in the last works of James Taylor. A lot of great abstract works in the show from Williams Downs, Kevin Cole, Louis Dells, Art, Romare Bearden, so many more, like beautiful, just wonderful stuff. And then the beautiful watercolors from the late, great James Taylor, expert watercolor artist with all the lush portraits with the masterful, jewel colors like you know only watercolor can give that kind of shine he knew how to do it he was an amazing artist make sure you check him out the show runs through june 10th leading right up to the juneteenth celebration that we're gonna have at by a gallery more on that later so make sure to check out more at blackartinamerica.com and right now just just sit back relax <laughs> just get ready for some more great conversations we got don williams boy right after the break Mr. noise
1: yes
2: This is a Sohei Galbraith, art collector, art enthusiast, and professional tax preparer. You're listening to Studio Noise.
3: All right, yes, it's your boy, Jay Barber, Studio Noise, the voice of Black art, again coming at you live from the Black Art American Gallery, 1802 Connolly Drive. got an extra special guest today. Uh, I love... Dawn's paintings. This is Dawn Williams Boyd. If y'all don't know who it is, hello Dawn.
1: Hello,
0: everybody. How are you?
3: Yeah, she says she gets loud when she gets excited. So we're gonna see <laughs> how loud we're gonna get today. <laughs> we can talk to her. Uh, Dawn is a tremendous, terrific artist. She does the cloth paintings that she calls them. Yes, that's um, correct. Uh, paintings made completely out of fabric, sewn together, quilting. She's a master at what she does. I've seen it in person. Uh we had a I had a show at Southwest Art Center. You were either right before me. Or right after me. You were before mm,
0: me. I was right before you. You were
3: right before me. Right. And so when I came to see the space, the mm. last one time your feet was in there, I was like, oh my God, I don't know <laughs> if I can match this. This is pretty you good. did beautiful. <laughs> thank, <laughs> thank you. But that's what I met her. That's when I saw her work. It's fantastic. It's it's overwhelming in scale sometimes because it's hard to believe that this is all fabric that you mm. put together inside of yourself. But before we get into all that, we got Dom Williams Boyd. DomWilliamsBoyd.com is a website. Make sure you go. Check her out, and that's where you can find everything about her. She don't do the IGs. She <laughs> don't do it. She said. She, she said it might be other accounts out there. They ain't got nothing to do with me.
0: Let's <laughs> <laughs> do with me.
3: <laughs> but Dawn, working fast. not tell me a little bit about yourself before we get started.
0: You mean like myself, like where I grew up and yeah, that kind of yeah. stuff. Oh, okay. Wait, wait.
3: How would you introduce yourself, somebody oh. talking about you?
0: Um. So I grew up here in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I was, for whatever strange reason, born in Neptune, New Jersey, of all places, but I grew <laughs> up here in Atlanta, Georgia. Neptune, New Jersey. Neptune, New Jersey, <laughs> which is across the street from Asbury Park. Asbury Park had an only white hospital. Oh. This is 1952, oh, keep in mind. yeah. But at, uh, Neptune had a black hospital. Now, why my parents were there, my mother was nine months pregnant. <laughs> I never got around to asking her. Right. But at any rate. Yeah. Um, I grew up in the Moseley Park area of Atlanta, Georgia, back when the um the shallow part of the pool still had concrete bottoms with uh, glass and rocks in the bottom of it. Oh wow. Yes. It was the neighborhood pool though. It was the only pool we had at the time. So. Yeah. Um I went to local schools, though if I name them, nobody ever heard of them, <laughs> so I won't bother. Um, I have a Bachelor of Fine Arts from Stevens College in Columbia, yeah. Missouri. And in addition to the cloth paintings, I paint in acrylics on various surfaces. I've been making art since 1974.
3: Mm, committed. Dedicated. Yes, dedicated long time. Long you, have time. you been through a lot of phases in your artwork?
0: Um, I've been through a lot of mediums. Um, When I meet a new artist whose work I admire, I want to learn the medium that they're using. Mm -hmm. So I started in oils and then moved to acrylics. I have done bar relief sculpture in, um, they call it polymer clay these Mm -hmm. days. Um, I've worked in cardboard, all kinds of things. And um, I've been in fabric for about the last 22 years. So the work itself pretty much stays the same. I've always been realist. I've always been figurative. Um, I've always used uh, black bodies for my uh, figures. Mm -hmm. And um, since I discovered uh, corrugated cardboard and... um, plywood I've enjoyed escaping from the square and the rectangle because I find it really boring and so one of the things I like most about uh, working in cloth is that you get to shape it mm-hmm. whatever you want so um, I haven't been through it. The, the only phases I've been through is when I change mediums mm-hmm. I get very involved in whatever I'm doing I might do that particular medium for 15 years and then suddenly change to something else. So, But it's pretty much been the same, um, talking about black folk and what we do and what is done to us.
3: What inspired to switch to fabric?
0: Uh, the Metropolitan State College of uh, Denver asked me to do a teacher's workshop on, you know, I know this woman's name like the back of my hand. It'll come back to me in a minute. Um, what's, the, what's the sister's name who did Tar Beach? Oh. You know. <laughs> come on. Your brain is way younger than mine. Come on. Anyway, it'll come back to us. Yeah, it'll come back. <laughs> um, they asked me Somebody to do, listening, screaming at this. Yeah, screaming is going <laughs> um, uh, they asked me to do a workshop. And uh, the, this particular artist uh, was painting on canvas at the time, Mm -hmm. but instead of stretching her canvas on um, stretcher bars, she would roll it or she framed it in patched fabric, Mm. rolled it up and put it in a tube to get it from point A to point B. I was working in corrugated cardboard and plywood at the time and acrylics and having a hard time moving things from one place to another. Mm. I was doing a lot of... I was living in Colorado at the time and doing a lot of out-of-state shows and having to package my work was expensive, time-consuming, and required skills that I didn't have. Oh, yeah. We know that. So that's when struggling. I yeah. found out that this... <sighs> this artist um, just rolled her work up. I'm like, oh man, what a great <laughs> idea. And then That's awesome, yeah. I learned to sew as a, a small child. So I said, well, you know, I can combine my drawing skills and my sewing skills and make the whole thing out of fabric and solve all my problems. Cause now I can just fold it, put it in a <laughs> box, take it to the post office, yeah. And mail it. Yeah. So that's how I got into call.
3: Oh, I love that. that yeah. That's a that's the kind of practical artist story <laughs> that I love to hear. Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes it's like divine inspiration. Sometimes you just need to ship stuff. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
1: exactly.
3: <laughs> I love that, Joe. So you just had a recent solo show that I saw on your website, "The Tip of the Iceberg," that's at the gallery. I can't pronounce the gallery name. What is it's
0: it? It's Fort Yeah. G-A-N-S-E-V-O-O-R-T. G-A-N-S-E-V-O-O-R-T, it's Dutch.
3: Okay, and that's in New York? It's in New York City. And so you had tremendous work out there. Uh, the thing that I love about your work is how um, full it is. It's full of context, it's full of imagery, mm-hmm. it's full of colors, it's full of symbols.
0: I have a lot and to say. You
3: have a lot to say, and you are not afraid to say some very pointed things about what you observe in the, in the going-ons of America
0: somebody needs to yeah I, you know we were um we were just talking about doing the opposite of what everyone else does mm-hmm. and uh there are and i admire each and every one but there are a lot of artists who are very busy talking about their inter- inner personalities their um their fight to be themselves in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a lot of artists who make beautiful um, images of our people to show our quality, to show our beauty, both external and internal, and to um, uh, remember what a gorgeous people we are and all the, the positive aspects, and that's wonderful. But... I feel it's really necessary, particularly for artists who are working in 2023, to have something to say about what's going on in the world that involves us as humans Mm -hmm. and more so as black people because of who we are. Um, There's a lot happening that I feel... Future generations might try to erase because history is being rewritten every moment of the day. And I think it's important, you know, pictures, that old adage "A pictures worth a thousand words. Well, I believe it is. And so it's really necessary, in my opinion, to have something to say about what's going on in the world. So that's what I try to do.
3: Absolutely. And you have all kinds of stuff to say. In this show in particular, <laughs> you talk about, you talk about Trump, you talk about uh, Roe v. Wade, you talk about uh, the massacre, uh, Wall Street um, mm-hmm. massacre, you talk about like so much stuff like mm-hmm. inside of this. And so, do you, are you kind of like a news watcher? I feel like uh, I'm talking to, <laughs> I feel like I'm talking to like my dad. My dad's around <laughs> to watch uh, the TV shows all day, but it's mostly either he watching Gunsmoke or he watching the news. Like, that's. <laughs> I Your feel like.
0: and I are probably about that.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Yeah, because I feel like it's, it's something about that where, um, and I, I do the same thing, but I keep up with stuff online. So either I'm watching like YouTube clips of like different interviews or stuff going on. Like the George Santos stuff uh, just hit today. Um and it's a, it's important that we know it and it's important that our artists have some kind of response to like the actual happenings I think of so. what's going on.
0: Yeah. I am a radio person. Um news radio, the local channel. Mm-hmm. The local um NPR channels in particular. And so I I just have them on when I'm working. And when interesting comments come up, I have to take a minute, write it down real fast so they don't forget forget what they said. Um, I spend a lot of time reading and doing research for my work. Um, I'm reading um, Dr. Chris Welsing's ISIS papers mm. right now. I mm-hmm. just finished the 1619 project. Yeah, And that kind of thing... Um, influences what I'm thinking about. I'm trying to educate myself, unlike a lot of, of uh, black folks my age. I didn't have the, um, the African American history, or the African history uh, courses in school. It had just been invented when I was in college, right. if you will. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of what I know about us historically, I have had to learn by listening to other Black people talk, mm-hmm. and by then you know making notes, and then going to the library at the time or uh, online at this time, and finding out. Okay, so this is what I heard. What actually happened, and so it um, it's just interesting to me. My mother was a historian, and so um, all kinds of things historic. Interest me, I saw till last oh, night yeah. for the first yeah. time and uh so and it was interesting because it it had a so you know little tiny things influenced me i had this particular movie had a shot of a live cotton field in it, which I have seen before since I grew up here in Atlanta, but have never experience and i'm going to be using i needed that image because i'm going to put it in a piece that i'm working on Mm -hmm. and so i was imagining it but now i know exactly what it looks like so you know just little interesting things
3: yeah so you kind of go through this and you're like collecting information almost
0: yeah i keep notes um i used to keep them in a little black book Oh, like a literal little black book? A literal, yeah, a little (laughs) black book that fit into my backpack. Yeah. And um, if I were sitting in a car at a stop sign or in the grocery store and saw something go by me or overheard someone else's conversation, I would write it down in that book. And then once a year, I go through that book and decide, okay, this year I want to talk about this, X, Y, Z. And so I pull all of the ideas that were written in that book um, that fit into that format and say, okay, I'm going to do 10 pieces this year. Mm. And so I've got notes. The notes say what inspired, um, what research I need to do, um, when and where I saw it, what I was thinking about, how big does it need to be, what colors am I going to use, and all of that stuff. Unfortunately, I lost my little black book. Oh, no. I know. It was, it was <laughs> devastating. So I had to learn how to do that online. <laughs> so now I send myself an email. That's what I do now. But yeah, I like, to, I like to, um, to put things in a place where I'll remember where it is so that I can go back to it a year or two years later and refresh my memory and say, okay, yeah. I'm still mad about this. Yeah. So let's go ahead and do a piece about it.
3: That's a very thought out process. Takes Benjamin. a long time. Yeah. It ta- it, it's very organized, but I can see like how you need a certain amount of information uh, to yeah, be yeah. able to make the work that you're making. Cause all the little pieces yeah. like mean something inside yeah. of it. I'm going to jump into some pieces and fear for my life was one that really stood out to me. I loved it the setup and the colors with the badges inside of it. Yeah. Uh, if you, you got to look on Dawn's website, you can find uh pictures of this. It's in the tip of the iceberg series uh, that you had. And there's a little boy laying down with his head, like in a pool of blood. Uh, and you have badges, um, from police, uh, sewn into it. Like yeah. I'm, 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 assuming they're actual badges they that you are. found somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Tell us about that.
0: Um, the, the piece was inspired by the statement that the police who are um, causing the current spate of racial atrocities um, who are killing black people in the street um, for ridiculous reasons, they say, I was in fear for my life. Mm-hmm. And of course, I can't understand that because you know they're the ones with the guns and the yes. tasers and the cars yeah. and, the, and the the authority and the the lawyers and the blah blah blah. So what are you afraid of? We should be afraid. Yeah. Um. But so it, that inspired the piece. the The badges I found interestingly at um, Scott's antique market.
3: Really? <laughs> yeah, There's all
0: kinds of really great stuff. There. I don't want to advertise for them, but as an artist, um, I have I, my husband and I are DIYers. We are right. junkers. We are. We spend a lot of time going through other people's junk, mm-hmm. and so I found several pieces over the years that have helped me. Anyway. Um, I was walking through there one day and uh, this man had a table with badges. He had Boy Scout badges. He had Air Force badges and he had six police badges. And so I grabbed those up and then I went online and you can buy them just on Amazon. (laughs) And then uh, recently. I'm surprised at that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why you can buy them on Amazon, but you can. Yeah. Um, so I bought several more, and it was just, what I wanted to say is that it, this, the murder of this innocent child is not happening in one place. Mm-hmm. It's happening all over at least this country, and it's something that concerns us as black people, and it should concern everyone because what's happening, what happens to us eventually happens to all melanin people. Right. But don't get me started with Dr. Cresswelson because we'll be here all day. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, that's the other thing that I really like about that particular piece is there are some things that I used to do when I first started working in cloth that I don't do anymore Mm. and so the background on this one is patched um in large green on green patches and that's one of the things that i don't do any longer that i'm trying to get back into so
3: nice yeah and i wouldn't even imagine because i don't know a lot about sewing and how like things are put together um but i imagine so many techniques that you do are not necessarily all the time that makes sense. Like, is it when you do it? Is it more like the same way people think about collage, and how you put it together?
0: It is. It is. Um, it is, in fact, a collage. Um, my the reason that I don't refer to my work as um, as quilts is two reasons. One is that the word quilt. Which simply means that you have pierced multiple layers. Mm. So if you staple several papers together, you quilted it.
1: Mm. Okay. Okay.
0: So, uh, and then of course, everybody's mother, grandmother, great grandmother made quilts. And those quilts were for specific things. They mostly meant to keep you warm, they mostly were meant to lie on a bed. And my work is not meant to lie on a bed. It's meant to hung on <laughs> be hung on a wall. Yeah. And so and I approach it from a painterly perspective. So I call it cloth paintings. Yeah. Um but yes, there are uh techniques that I learned with I I do make quilts, quilts, um so I and I have lots and lots of acquaintances who are quilters. And so I've learned quite a bit by looking at their work and trying to um use the techniques that they employ in my own work. Um, but it is a lot, it's a collage that instead of gluing it down, you're sewing it down. Mm-hmm. So one thing I like to say about my work is that it it requires you to draw the same image like eight times using pencil, marker, needle and thread, uh, embroidery floss. And so you just draw it over and over and over again until you get it where you want it to be.
1: Mm
3: -hmm. How long does it take you to work out like some of these like really complicated compositions?
0: It normally takes about eight weeks. Um, For the tip of the iceberg group, I was given a deadline by the gallery. And so I had to compress my system to about five weeks. Mm -hmm which was um, something that I really didn't think I would be able to do. But then, as you and I were talking about early, the pandemic arrived just in time <laughs> <laughs> to give me Get all some room. day, yeah. every day, yeah. to, to do nothing but artwork. I had no place to go, nothing to do. And so I was able to do that. But what I realized at the end of the process was that I had made it much more simple, mm-hmm. much simpler Mm-hmm. than I had done in the past. In the past, my work was full of cow shells and beads and sequins and this and that and this and that. And so for the next group that I'm going to do, I'm going to try to get back to that because that was where all the fun for me was. And uh, I think yeah. it was what interested people, what drew them to my work because with the bees and sequins, at least as you drove, as you walk by, it would sparkle right. and sort of grab your attention. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to get back to that. Yeah. So yeah.
3: it's interesting you described it as, as a simplification of, Definitely. of, of the, of the process and kind of, do you find that those layers are necessary? Like the cowrie shells and the kind of extra, thing on top I almost consider it like if you're doing a a painting or a print and doing some level of gesture on top of it
0: to like reactivate it yeah sort of like I say I kind of like for it to um the the thing that one of the things that interests me most about the the um work that I do is that from across the room it looks like a painting Mm -hmm. but when you walk up on it then you realize that it's something that's a little bit more than a painting yeah um the extra things are not necessary. No, the like I say, the tip of the iceberg group has very little in the way of flourishes, if you will, and I think those pieces are really strong the way they are. Um, I just like to. <laughs> <laughs> I just like it's it. It's yeah. just fun. It's fun for me. All yeah. of it is really fun for me, but the the added little like an exclamation point on the end yeah. it's like yeah this is good Yeah, it's really good yeah
3: okay like yeah a little something for them but a little something for me too yeah. I like, yeah. <laughs> put a little bit of that sparkle on it <laughs> I, I like that right, let's jump right back into it let's talk about voting rights what's oh. next tell me about this
0: um that was inspired by two things one the the um The crazy people who are running our country right now, and Uh particularly the crazy people who are running the state of Georgia, um, are taking us back, and I'm going to go so far as to say as of, (laughs) you should be able to see uh, the world rushing by us these days, but we're going in an opposite direction from where we were going prior to 2016. For example, let's talk about, as you said earlier, voting rights is an issue um, Roe versus Wade or something that ca- has that yep. been in the news a lot uh, and there's all there so the powers that be here in Georgia are making it for those of you who might are not in Georgia are making it harder for people to vote our people spent hundreds of thousands of lives years and years and years trying to obtain the right to speak for ourselves by voting in this country. And here we are in 2022, 2023, and that's going away. Yeah. So that was the first thing. And then the another issue here in Atlanta has been the young brothers and sisters who are on the corners, who are on the, um, the off-ramps selling water Yeah, the water boys, and yeah. making. And the city of Atlanta has decided to make that illegal, I understand why they, it, the city has a problem with it. The children are possibly endangering their lives, okay? However, they should be applauded, I think, for their entrepreneurial thinking. They are figuring out a way to make money selling water on the corners. And so it, it occurred to me that we need to be more concerned about how particularly teenagers who will be able to vote soon, these young people are 13, 14, they're going to be able to vote at 18, assuming we can keep that alive. How do they see us as adults? What do they think of the way that we are running the world? So the young men that you see in that, image are not trying to sell water they're too young to vote but they're trying to do their part in the election process by giving away what they would ordinarily be selling they have water they have snacks they have bipartisan snacks <laughs> and so they're just trying to do their little bit and but their t-shirts tell you where they are they're the future voters mm-hmm. and people the powers that be who are dependent upon that vote should be paying more attention to those young people. Absolutely. So that's Absolutely. what that's
3: about. Yeah, and and now we're getting into some real issues now when we talk about <laughs> it, because the, that right to vote thing uh, is being, it's expressed that they particularly are going to purposefully remove the right to vote for all kinds of reasons. They don't want people to vote on college campuses. They want people to vote in certain areas,
0: but it's okay to carry a gun. On oh a yeah, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. You need a gun. You
3: don't need to vote, right? <laughs> but it, and all these issues seem to be conflating together. Yeah, uh, in the same way that it's just about this kind of authoritarian rule that people just want the power. They don't necessarily want to do anything with the. power. They don't power. want the responsibility. Yeah, they don't want the responsibility. They don't actually want to do anything. They want. They don't want the consequences of it either. Ooh,
0: especially um, the consequences. And
3: especially the consequences that come from not uh, taking care of the people that voted for you. And so yeah. now like that, even that is becoming, or well, I can't say it's becoming because you can see, especially with the abortion issue that's mm. online, uh, a lot of pushback on the at the polls yeah. for some of the policies that people are trying to like institute. It's like a small group of people wanting yeah. to rule a large group of people.
0: And that's the whole point. It's a very small group of people who, and you know, you, you kind of feel bad for them because for until 2016, they were sort of closeted because their opinions were not those of the majority. We were rolling along. We had issues that we were still working on, but we were rolling along. And suddenly that man came along and screech, Breaks, yeah, and then we've been rolling downhill backwards ever <laughs> since then. And so, um, it, you know, I think that needs to be talked about.
3: Absolutely, because it, it needs it, to be said. Because I think it's uh, a certain amount of uh, progress that we took for granted. Absolutely, like, you know, we we definitely assumed everything would continue the <laughs> well, the way, not he, not even but, knowing that it could be taken away from
0: but us. But that's the way. Progress is made. Yeah. You, you build upon what you have and you do it incrementally. You put a little bit on top and then you put a little bit more on top and you just keep going until you get to a place where you can see over the top of the hill. And maybe over the top of the hill, there's an actual solution to your problems. But we, if we go back to Father Knows Best, <laughs> we're, we're never going to get there. Yeah. But I really feel like the children who um, survived the pandemic, the children who's uh, who you know lost educational impetus, doing the children who will be old enough to vote in you know th- in next year. I think they're going to have something to say. You know, they're not yeah. stupid. They're yeah. paying very close <laughs> attention to what's going on. Yeah. Which I don't know you can always say to every adult. Adults oftentimes have too much other stuff to think about. Mm-hmm. To really kind of dive down into why things are happening. Yeah. So
3: Because I think things get uh, personal in particular, like after a while. Like yeah. you worry about your particular thing mm-hmm. and not so much the national... Uh, consensus of what's happening or the or the even the zeitgeist that, right of yeah, what's in the air that's yeah, happening to people yeah, like, exactly. you can't take the banning of books black books right in particular
0: mm, I haven't done that yet <laughs> <laughs> but it's that's, like, a, that's such a scary yeah, thing. yeah
3: and it's and it's and it's it's all happening at the same time so you have the climate yeah, change you have abortion yeah. you have the books you and have the education you yeah. have uh, the voting rights all of this stuff it can it's very easy to get segmented into your own particular thing and kind of lose the fact that so much of this stuff is happening, like it's creating chaos. And
0: it's all interconnected. And the most important thing it I don't know if this is on your list, but the uh, smoky, what's it called? The smoke filled rooms. Mm, yeah. And that, yes. so this is, you know, all the stuff that's happening. It's, is it coincidental that it's, all happening at the same time. No,
3: somebody's taking advantage.
0: Exactly. And somebody <laughs> planned this. Mm-hmm. And I, you conspiracy theories are all are all good. But you know, I grew I didn't grow up. I lived in Denver, Colorado for a long time. And you could see over a period of 30 years that I was there, um, certain things come into play. And we as citizens, that things were happening, to sort of didn't find out about it mm. until it, they hit broken ground. Mm. And they always say, "Well, we want uh, community input." No, you don't. No, you just they don't. want an yes. excuse to say, "Well, we <laughs> talked to them." <laughs> yeah, but you had already broken ground when you talked to me. Yeah, you know. So anyway.
3: Yeah. Cause they already had the plans for it. Already made up.
0: 20 years. Minimum (laughs) 50 in some instances.
3: That's crazy. It's crazy. The Black Arts Family Reunion is coming. June 16th through the 19th. Mark the one-year anniversary of the Bayard Gallery with thought-provoking lectures, panel talks, networking opportunities, and an art family cookout that's gonna be a big fun. Stay tuned for announcements on attendees, but go on and plan to be here at the Bayard Gallery, 1802 Connolly Drive, East Point, Georgia. Check out blackartamerica.com for more.
2: I'm Jennifer Warren. I'm an oil painter and artist, and you can see me on the exhibit, and you were listening to Studio Noise.
3: So jump back to your artwork, you got a piece called uh, Leaving Alabama, uh, which is yeah. a very strong piece. Uh, it's one of those examples of how you populate your pieces with characters, mm. and the characters are all adding something to the story, and nobody's, uh, it's not super- superfluous. Like nobody's yeah. just there. Like hanging yeah. out. Like every facial expression means something. Yeah.
0: I bother to draw you. You have to work. You have to work. <laughs> 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 I like you that. You
3: have to work and <laughs> to get drawn. Even like the license plate. Space. Even the license plate is yeah. is the Wobi Wade the uh, yes, code on the, on the license plate. Yeah. yeah. So all these little different things inside of work. Tell me about this piece and how let me know how it's put together. Like how do you even start to think about and adjust the things? Uh, to get it because at a certain point it was kind of like there was no license plate, but then it's like, no, it needs something. This license well, plate is an opportunity to yeah. talk about certain things. You know what I mean?
0: I wanted to be sure that there was no question about why we were leaving Alabama. And I I don't want to pick on Alabama because it could it just as easily have been Georgia or yep. Texas yep. or wherever. Yeah, um, For... For those who haven't seen it yet, the um, as Jamal says, the um, license plate on the the Mustang is the, the, what do they call it, the court number mm-hmm. for Roe versus Wade. And um, so it was, as you say, each character in the piece has, their, has a job to do. And I wanted to be, I, I try to be very clear about what my opinion is. Um, you are welcome to form your own opinion or to express your own opinion, but I want you to know without um any question about what I think about it mm-hmm. but the in that particular instance, again, I was listening to the radio, and um and one of the local people said something about the 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 court number. And I thought, well, what, I don't know what that is. Mm, So let's look it up. What's the court number for Roe versus Wade? I'm like, Oh, okay. So how can I use this? And it just, I was making a Mustang, so it needed a license plate and the (laughs) license plate could have said any number of things. Um, It also has a very big sign that says, uh, um, y'all come back now. Mm. And then that's scratched out with a, a, a red paintbrush. And so I just, it just fit. You know, some things I just, what's the word, serendipitous. Mm-hmm. It just happens. And you're like, oh, psh, put that in there. That'll work fine. That'll make it even better. Yeah. It's like putting sequins on something. You know?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, like that. I like that. I like that process. You will, might say that is a contradiction from how much research and setup you go into it. But the, the setup and the research and the planning, but the execution allows for you to do like I'm certain stuff. I'm constantly
0: changing it. Yeah. Constantly changing. The, the one thing I like about the my processes, I actually wrote all the processes, the, numbered them for another uh, event a couple of weeks ago. And they're like 14 different processes mm. for each piece. Everything from the original idea, the research, the gathering of fabrics, the um, the multiple times you draw it, the, you know, the way it's finished, the signage, everything. And the thing I like about it most is that it allows me to change it even after it's sewn down. Because mm. you can always pull stitches. Yeah, I hate pulling stitches. <laughs> but I can pull it. And, you know, you can change your pattern. You can change your color. You can change where it is. You can decide to put flourishes on it or not and so it's it's a lot of fun for me it, if you're making artwork that's not fun you Why? should find yeah. something else to do <laughs> so it's a yeah. lot of fun
3: for me nah it takes too long to make stuff to not exactly. have fun exactly <laughs> yeah
0: exactly and then after you've made it and you don't like it <laughs> what are you gonna do yeah. with it I okay. mean it's, it, my work at least is not like a painting yeah. that you can just white out and start over again
3: so <laughs> Yeah, you put this thing together. And so uh, we were talking earlier, you said an interesting part about, the one of the fun parts about what you do is actually get in the fabric. Like how how is that process for you? Cause I assume that you have like, and I've said this to uh, another uh, tufter, uh, shout out to Simone. I would assume that you just have a big room full of fabrics in there, just stuffed on top of each other, like a huge pile, it's Just you just dive into it's it every day. It's called a
0: stash. <laughs>
1: one of the uh
0: one of the the things that that uh, that makes me laugh about quilters in particular is their stashes because they in fact have rooms full of fabric they have rooms that they have taken apart and put back together again so that it has a place for their fabric. Yeah. Um, I am using what was the living room in my house, the place where my father interrogated my dates when I was dating (laughs) Um, and what used to be a sunken dining room in the house as my studio. And I do have one wall that has large plastic bins full of fabric. And then on Because I'm about to start a new series and because I've been obtaining fabric specifically for that series. I also have several large plastic bags that are full of fabric. Um, Some (laughs) things you just need. You need, um, I use sheets for my uh, drawing surface. Mm -hmm. Um, So you always need those. I get those from the Goodwill. Um, You need, I need a lot of brown because I do black people. Um, I, I love, uh, prints. Um, I have African fabrics. I have fabrics from various parts of the world. People give me fabric. I'm sure. Um, I have artists who used to do fabric who say, you know, I'm switching back to, do you want my fabric? Of course I do.
1: <laughs> That's a silly question. Yes, I would. <laughs>
0: um, but lately... I have been spending a lot of time in the goodwill because if you think about it, um, a man's shirt, particularly a large man's shirt is like a yard and a half Mm. of cotton, hundred percent cotton. If you pick out the cotton, um, and the shirt at the goodwill costs $6 and 25 cents at the fabric store that same yard of cotton costs 7 to $8. Mm. And if you get a tie-dyed piece of fabric, then you're talking about 20 $25 for a yard. So, and then I also think about the fact that when you discard a piece of clothing, if you are smart enough, first of all, to donate it to someone else who needs it, that's a great thing, because then it'll get more use. If you donate it to the Goodwill, then it hopefully gets sold and gets more use. But if it doesn't, then they usually ship it overseas. Mm. And if they don't use it, then it lands up in a landfill. Mm -hmm. So if I pull it out of the Goodwill stash and put it into my stash, because I'm going to cut it up and use little teeny tiny pieces of it and get to use that same shirt 50 times till I feel like I'm doing my part with regard, with regard to climate change and garbage and so on and so forth. Yeah. So, um, I do spend quite a bit of time in the Goodwill pulling fabric. I, you know, the people at the fabric stores know me by name. There she comes. Uh, she's, you know, get her whatever she wants. Cause she's going to spend some money while she's here. But, um, if you can give me any cotton, wool, or silk that you have, I try to stay away from polyesters just because it doesn't. I don't. I don't like the fact that we're still making things out of dead dinosaurs mm. that's not going to biodegrade. And uh, but yeah, that's yeah. I'm I'm crazy about fabric <laughs> the same way that I used to go into an art supply store and drool over the. The tubes of paint that yeah. I could not afford to buy. <laughs> uh, <and> you, yeah. <laughs> I do the same thing in fabric stores now. Yeah.
3: So, when you go in, especially like when you're looking at browns, mm. I imagine there's a brown section and it has all kinds you of would patterns in surprised. it. You'd be surprised. No, that is no, not really. the case. Really?
0: No. For every other color, that's true. But for browns, there just isn't. There's, there's brown solids. But brown prints, which I really like to use, always have some other color Mm. in them, even if it's just black or white. And so sometimes it works, but sometimes it doesn't. So I really have to hunt. Um, I found a a man's shirt recently that was a a lovely color brown that I had not been able. But when you think about skin tones, Mm -hmm. um, it's hard to find brown. Wow. yeah, but For your audience, if you have brown <laughs> cotton, yes. bring it to Black Art in America and I'll pick it up here. <laughs>
3: Send it to Dawn, yo, so you can keep making these pieces that she got going on. Uh, oh, one piece that had a uh, lot of browns, but a very effective uh, competition, the Trump era incarcerated, which I yeah. really love the setup for this piece.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: tell us about the how you kind of envision it.
0: This is the one with the guy in the bars yeah. and his family. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the, it was an idea that came to me because of something that I heard. And I was, I just, I'm trying to remember something I heard just the other day. But it talked about the numbers of uh, black and brown people, men and women, who are uh, in jail for things that were illegal when they went to jail 20 years ago, oh, but are not illegal wow. anymore. Yeah. And then I was thinking about the children whose parent is incarcerated and how that child is um, – the, the many ways that that men in particular are – Um, extracted from the population and what that does to us as a people. You know, we have uh, so many uh, young men who are growing up without a man in their households, um, trying to learn to be men. And, of course, again, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing has a lot of theory about how um, the lack of men in our uh, civilization has affected us Mm -hmm. and, you know, why black men and brown men in particular are being extracted from the population and how that um, has affected who we are today. And so... um, What I wanted to say in that piece is that it's not just the man that's incarcerated, the whole family is behind bars. And so, um, I think it worked out really well in that piece. Oh no, it's a powerful
3: composition. And and what I really like and appreciate is, uh, sometimes work can be abstract, like here, Black Art America, they got an abstract show uh, that's up right now. And you look at it, you can get all kinds of inferences from it. Um, but you have a very particular view of what you're trying to communicate, a very particular point. How much is, is your work based on, I have to communicate this thing?
0: All of it. All of it. Um, I, could, I keep trying to find, uh, in fact, when I finished the Tip of the Iceberg series, I said, okay, I'm going to sit myself down. And I'm not going to pick up a pencil until I find something happy to say. <laughs> I had a, you uh, may be familiar with my Sins of the Fathers series. Yeah. It's all about racial atrocities in the country against black people. All right. I had that show up um, years and years ago and a man walked up to me. He said, your work is lovely. It's really powerful, but it's really sad. He said it was depressing. Mm. He said, don't you ever have anything happy to say? And that started me that if you go on the website, you'll see a, a category of uh, pieces that talk about. Um, so I did a series of cute little kids in response to him. <laughs> it right. says, you know, it's about the, all the things that kids do. And it was like 20 pieces in a series. And, and I sort of got out of my system. And, but now people say, well, you know, you live in a very dark place and I'm like it's not dark to me it's educational mm. to me because I'm educating myself and hopefully educating someone else so it's it bubbles out of me um I don't I I haven't been able to think well that's not quite true I was gonna say I haven't been able to think of anything happy to say but I did think of something the <laughs> other day um, but I, it's necessary, in my opinion to, for me, at least, to express I don't think they're just my opinions. I mm-hmm. think that there are a lot of people who feel the way I do, and it's necessary for me um, me as me to get it out of me um i need to learn more i need to do more i need to say more and until i do that until i express whatever it is it sort of bottles up mm-hmm. in me so it you know my artwork is me sort of spewing my opinion about whatever the subject is because if i i honestly feel like i will go mm, can't say that I will go absolutely crazy if I don't do this, so it, it very much is a purging. It very much is a, uh, a a need for me to. I think serious artists feel that way. There's something inside you that when you would like to sit down and watch television, it's like, no. right. Get up. yeah go here. I've got this great idea. Let's go do this.: Yeah. It's like um, you know a little kid that would rather be outside than inside. Yeah. So,
3: yeah. Yeah. Because it's not so much that you uh, just want to do it; like you have to do it. Oh, absolutely. Like, I will,
0: I would be a crazy person if I didn't have art. <laughs> um, I, I like that. It's this is the this is the thing I'm good at. I was lucky enough to learn the thing that I'm good at at like the age of sixteen, and I've been, uh, I've done many things, Uh, you know, had straight job. I have husband, I have kids. And so I've had to do all of that. But the thing that has kept my feet on the ground is my artwork.
3: I love that. Yeah. yeah, Got to do it. Yeah. It's part of, part of uh, self-regulating like exactly. you can, like you can't like let this it's stuff like off. Like you have to have an outlet. Yeah.
0: It <laughs> needs to be twisted every Yeah, night so you and have to have an outlet. Steam. Steam. Yeah. yeah. And
3: and and like you said it's not like we're not feeling these things, right? Exactly. It's like you're taking it in and as we start to process all the stuff that's happening.
0: One of the reasons I feel like we have children who are going into their school with guns is that they don't have a an outlet for their feelings. Mm. You can't always talk about, um, but you can always draw something on a piece of paper. Yes. And you can show it or not show it. Um, but do something with it. You know, draw, drive a nail into a piece of wood. Um, break your crayons. Do something that makes you feel better, um, that doesn't harm and, in fact, educates other people. Mm-hmm. So that's where I am.
3: No, I love that. I love that. And even in the process, you may not even know how you feel because you haven't. I'm still thought working about it, yet. it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> have Thought That's about true. it. Like, how do I visually represent what I'm feeling? You have to organize your yeah. feelings and be able to. Yeah, I'm to having that it.
0: problem right now. As a matter of fact, you are. Yeah, like I'm, for the new I, stuff. Yeah, because I it started out like as one thing, and then I started reading and listening, and so now it's kind of turned into another thing. My thinking about it has changed, but I have already drawn and blown up. <laughs> and so I'm like halfway through the process. So I can't sort of just go back. It's like, I'm not the kind of person that can put a book down right. until I finish it, right. regardless of how bad the book is. <laughs> so I gotta know. <laughs> I, I yeah. need to know how it is, right? Yeah. But um, so now I, I'm trying to figure a way to sort of meld the two thoughts and it's given me a little bit of problem.
3: I'm sure. I'm going to work it out. Of course you're going to work it out. Yeah. And there's the new stuff that you're working on. Mm -hmm. So the new stuff, you give us an idea of what it is you're tackling. Just a little taste of it.
0: It's called fear. And it is, it is all the, not all, but several of the sort of iconic, photos that we've grown up with that show uh, black people being abused in one way or another, whether it's um, actually being lynched or if it's advertising or if I collect um, uh, iron banks. And so you get a lot of uh, uh, images of what other people think of us. Mm. So, it's it's i'm i'm taking photographs that we are familiar with and flipping the races mm. in them and what i hope to do is to generate some empathy i feel like sympathy is something that you forget about as soon as you turn the page or walk away or can't hear that song anymore um but empathy is something that sticks with you, so I'm trying to create some empathy with regard to our struggle to be human in this country, to be considered human, because we always were humans, mm-hmm. but we were not thought of as humans. So your, you know, take any photo that from the '60s um, or earlier um the whole and so i'm developing this entire storyline about well you know if the if the folk if the people in africa were interested in or not interested if they if we were traveling on water discovering new places or i should say when we were um Conquering,
1: mm-hmm.
0: who would we have conquered, mm. and what would, how would history have been changed if the lion were telling the story
1: mm-hmm.
0: versus the hunter telling the story? And so, um, the the problem that I'm having is that. As I said, I started out with one idea, and then I started reading. I read the 1619 Project, and it informed the idea that I had originally. But then I read the ISIS papers I'm in the process of reading them, and that has kind of changed what I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm kind of up and down with it right now. But stay tuned. <laughs>
3: yes, definitely and stay tuned to that. At the end
0: of the year I should have it worked out one way or the other.
3: Yes. I I love that. I love that as an mm-hmm. idea, even as like a, a cross current for mm-hmm. things that are happening because sixteen nineteen is about what happened. Period. Yeah. History. Yeah. Like the story, like you said, from the hunters point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the ISIS paper is making you consider. There's a different lens in which we should yeah, exactly. be looking at these things. Exactly. And so, exactly. yes, that creates a like a dichotomy. Yeah. Oh, I'm interested. Okay. So,
0: <laughs> can't wait to it be done. <laughs> <laughs> ah,
3: I love that, Joe. I love that. And all artists should do that. All artists should be uh, researching, not just counterpoints, but the different lens. Like, what is the the next thing that you're bringing to the conversation, so that you don't have to just simply. Uh, you know, spit the narrative of the 1619 project. Exactly. Like, there, if there's a, another interpretation that should have been had. Yeah, uh, exactly. If there's people whose story is not being told, why not tell their story? Mm-hmm. Like, they deserve to tell their story just as much as anybody else.
0: Is it? Is it uh, fantasy? Mm. Or is it ugly truth? Mm. Is it the past? Or is it a future? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know yet. <laughs> I'll let you know when I it out. <laughs> oh, Dawn, talking that good talk today.
3: That's that's what I'm talking. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. That's that good stuff, yo. I love it, yo. I love it. And as we end, I just wanna uh, mention a little bit about um like in a in a lot of your pieces, I understand like when they talk about the uh depression part, but I think it's is is not depressing, it's unnerving uh for us to be confronted with some of these realities. I was reading a book the other day and Uh, the thing that struck me about the book as they were describing, uh, slavery and its existence is how much of the threat of slavery was what controlled, uh, people's actions. Mm. And we, and because those threats are either unspoken, unrealized, unvisualized, or unaccounted for people don't truly understand the slave experience. Mm-hmm. And so when you have it, when you live somewhere where they might have sold your mother and your father away from you, mm-hmm. you might've just seen somebody be, uh, have their, have their genitals cut off and stuffed in their mouth, mm-hmm. burned alive. Mm-hmm. Um, you may have just been starving in a field, working for 16 hours a day for the last eight years of your life. Mm-hmm. Like all of these things are happening that we, we. No, but we don't account for how much pressure that puts on to a person, like mm. how much, how truly pushed to the limits right. the human existence was um, based on the things. Like women were routinely raped by either other slaves or either the overseer, or either the master. Bodies were just bodies. Human beings were chattel. Like we don't understand that part of it enough to really have a conversation about.
0: And not only that how that not only affected the people that it was happening to, but those people had children and grandchildren and nieces and nephews and great, great grands. So, you know, 200 years later, we're still here having psychological issues based on something that happened to our ancestors 200 years ago, keeping in mind that, Things change, they morph, they become less obvious. Mm -hmm. And so there's all kinds of subtle rapes and castrations that we're experiencing now that some of us don't know enough about ourselves, our history, to realize that we're still being raped and castrated.
3: Yes. We've accepted it as life.
0: Exactly. And which is exactly. a
3: terrible place for us to be. a terrible place
1: to stop.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but that's exactly why we got people like
3: you speaking that truth to people. And so if you, if you are confronted by it and if it does make you depressed, you should be depressed. it's true. Because it is depressing. This is not like uh this is not um, here to placate you or make you feel better. Ooh. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a bomb. For your soul. Yeah. Like if you want the,
0: happiness, you should not come to my <laughs> show. <laughs> if you want sweetness and light, you no, should probably go see somebody else. But it's the
3: truth. If you want the truth and genuine conversation, that's what yeah. we got from Don yeah. Boyd. Thank you for coming on the show today. I tell pleasure. you, Thanks. wonderful artist. You gotta check her out. Uh go to where can they find your work?
0: You can find my work at my website, which is dawnwilliamsboyd.com. You can check out Fort Gansport. Dot coms. Again, F-O-R-T-G-A-N-S-E-V-O-O-R-T dot com.
3: Absolutely. And we got to bring you back to talk about the African-Americans for the arts one day, like to really get into that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah that's a whole conversation. other conversation. Yeah, a good yes. conversation yeah. to be had. We're going to bring Dawn back for sure Thank you for coming on the podcast today.
0: My pleasure. Thank you, Jamal, for having me.
3: And that's it. Another episode of Studio Noise in the Bag. Big shout out to Don Williams Boyd, the fantastic cloth painters. They're incredible. I'm telling you, check them out. You get a chance. Next week, we got muralist, painter, artist Chris Clark on the podcast coming out of Jacksonville. To all my artists out there, you don't got to talk about the ills. You ain't got to be so serious, but you got to get in the studio and make that noise, baby. It's the only way to do it. We artists. That's what we do. We make the art butterflies or whatever. Just keep doing your thing. It's your boy, Jay Barber. See you next week. I'm out.
2: Thank you for listening to the Studio Noise Podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please take a second to rate us and write a review to make sure everybody knows about the noise. Follow us on Instagram at Studio Noise Podcast.